For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn to the letter of James. James chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 1 to verse 18. We're using a pew Bible that can be found on page 1199. Continue our sermon series on this letter. We're going to look uh, at verses 9 to 11. Those verses will constitute my sermon text for this morning. Let us now hear God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his, his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. As for the reading of God's word, let us ask his blessing in a time of prayer. O Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would open our hearts by the power of your Spirit to not only hear the word, and the truth of your word, but to live the word, to apply it in our hearts and in our lives, that we may put feet to our faith, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that is in Christ our Lord. Oh, help us, we pray. Help us to be attentive. Help us to listen well. Help us to know and apply the word of the living God, which is sharper than any double-edged sword. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in trials, we ask God for wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge, the application of what you know to be true from the Word of God. Do you lack wisdom? Ask God. Ask God for wisdom to help you through the trial to live a life worthy of the calling, to walk in Christ. Wisdom understands and knows the right thing to do according to the standard of God's will 
for our lives. One of the various trials that the recipients of James was going through, or was writing about and writing to, is poverty, the poor. He writes to the poor Christian and the rich man. Poverty or riches do not define your identity and worth because your identity and worth are in Christ. Your identity and worth is in Jesus. And so we look at verses 9 to 11 this morning. Who is the poor Christian? And who is the rich man? Is the rich man a Christian? Or is the rich man an unbeliever? Who are these two groups? And why does it matter for us? What is James communicating to us regarding these two groups? Because I dare to say it has a lot to speak to us about, especially in the affluent culture and day in which we live. Because let me remind you and me that among the poorest here, we are the most rich when it comes to the world. If you are poor in this country, you are probably the most rich compared to third world countries or the poor here in the days of the biblical times, the first century church to whom James is writing. James has a lot to say to us. And we would do well to hear and heed what he's teaching us. It may first say that I'm preaching to myself. So if I say you, I mean me too. He's preaching to all of us. Let's look at the lowly brother's boast, verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation or lofty position or high position. James doesn't use the word poor. He uses the word lowly. Let the humble, lowly brother boast in his exaltation. However, the word that he uses there is so frequently used of the poor, widow, and orphan. That's why most interpreters rightly say that he's talking about the poor brother. Let the poor brother on the socioeconomic status boast in his exaltation. He has a low status in society. He is poor and by the world's standards, he is a laughing stock because the poor were not viewed highly in those days. In the Roman Empire, well, in fact, it wasn't until the rise of capitalism, you didn't have the middle class. You either had the rich or the poor. And in the ancient Near East, in the Roman pe period of time especially, 90% approximately of the people were poor. 
And then you had the rich. We would call the 90% of people lived below the poverty line. A person was either rich or poor. And James says, let the brother of low degree, let the brother of low degree of humble means, excuse me, of humble means boast or exalt or take pride in his high degree, in his exaltation. Let the brother of low degree, according to the world, according to the world, they see this brother as poor and lowly, a low status on society. Let him boast in his exaltation. What is James telling this lowly brother to boast in? To boast in his status in Christ. To boast in his status in Christ. Who are you in Jesus, poor man or woman? Who are you in Jesus, Christian? Boast in your exaltation, your lofty position and rank before Jesus. Because who are you in Christ? You are a child of the King. You are a child of the King. A son or daughter of the living God. You are a citizen of His kingdom. Inheritors of His blessings. You have the right to be called a child of God. Is that not an exalted position? You better believe it. And that changes your entire perspective if you're poor. Worldly or earthly treasures do not give a man or woman identity. They do not make a man or woman truly rich spiritually. James exhorts the poor brother to boast in his spiritual status with the Lord. You are rich in Christ. Because in Jesus is the wisdom of God. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of God. In Christ you are blessed. So, poor Christian, remember your calling. Remember your citizenship. Remember who you are in relationship to your Father in heaven through Christ, your elder brother and King. We are servants of the King, King Jesus, and rightful heirs of the kingdom of heaven. You are rich. You are rich. And think about how you became rich, poor Christian. Think about how you became rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, became what? Poor. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become what? Rich. Your status before the Lord is because of Christ's work on your behalf. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by taking on a human nature, taking on our likeness, yet without sin. 
And to do that, he entered a state of humiliation. Lowliness. Friends, he was born in a cattle stall. Laid in a manger. And if you're coming to the evening sermons or listening to it, his mother had to offer two turtle doves. Why? Because she was poor. We'll talk about that more tonight. For your sake, though he was rich, he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. And his humiliation comes to a climax at the cross of Calvary where he died for sinners. But the story doesn't end there because he rose from the dead victoriously, ascended to the right hand of the Father, pours out his Spirit upon his people, doing a spiritual heart transformation so that we come to know and recognize, acknowledge and believe that yes, I am spiritually poor and weak and wanting. But in Christ, I have my all in all. He is all I need. I am rich. And the lowly man boasts in his exalted state in the Lord Jesus Christ. So look beyond the poverty. Look beyond your low degree according to the world's standard. Look beyond your plight and trial. Look to your high and lofty status as a child of God and an heir of the promise. But the poor Christian boasts in his exaltation for he knows, he knows, the poor Christian knows that his, his inheritance is not in earthly things, but in the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Therefore be content with what you have be content with what you have physically because what you have spiritually far outweighs, far outweighs, infinitely outweighs what you have in your wallet or in your home. Turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chose those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him. If you're taking notes, Proverbs 29, verse 23. Once pride will bring Him low, but He who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. He who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The one who recognizes his lowly estate, his sin, his misery, and looks to Jesus for forgiveness and mercy, obtains honor. Psalm 138, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Now on a side note, when I give you references, I can't read them because of time, but I give them to you for a reason. Because during the course of the week, when you, when you reflect upon sermons, it is good to hear references, to go back to your notes. To go back to your notes and read for devotional. I'm not just throwing out Scripture verses for the sake of 
taking up 35, 40 minutes. They're for our benefit. And so the lowly man boasts in his exaltation, his exalted state in Christ. We're a very affluent nation. A very affluent nation. The poorest among us are rich in comparison to, the most, to most nations. Have you ever visited poor countries? Have you ever visited poor countries and worshipped with God's people there? I always walk away astounded. Places like Haiti. Places like villages in Ukraine or Russia. Those who face trials, especially poverty, and are so rich in faith. Secondly, the rich man's boast. Verse 10. First part of verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich man boast in his humiliation. James tells the one who is rich to boast in his humiliation or low condition. Who is this rich man? Is he an unbeliever or is he a believer? There are many reasons to argue that this rich man is an unbeliever, and many interpreters do. First of all, James does not call him brother. Does not call him brother, but literally says the one who is rich. Also, James rebukes and warns the rich of their evil schemes and pursuits and coming judgment. For example, in chapter 2 again, verse 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the one who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And then also, you can read later on, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. James has much to say in this context, in this letter, regarding the one who is rich. So James sheds light, a poor light, on the rich, because he says that they rob and oppress the poor man. They rob the poor man of his wages. They take him to court. They take advantage of their high position in society. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> if you have money, you can manipulate pay people off, bring harm upon your employee, take from your employee. Is this man an unbeliever? Well, there are those who say that he is an unbeliever. And there are striking similarities between James' teaching and the teachings of Jesus regarding the one who is rich. For example, Jesus cast many woes upon the religious leaders of his day. For example, Luke chapter 6, Woe to you who are rich, for you have re received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, 
for you shall mourn and weep. And elsewhere, Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And James says, let the rich man, or the one who is rich, boast in his lowly condition. The rich man takes pride in his spiritual poverty because their high status has corrupted their spiritual lives. Boast in your low status because you're spiritually poor. Consequently, their spiritual life is likened to the destruction and perishing of the flower of the field. And that's where those who believe that this rich man is an unbeliever essentially will be like, like the flower that dies in the field. So will this rich man, this unbeliever, will perish in judgment. However, there are interpreters that believe that the rich man is a brother in Christ. It's possible in the Greek language to insert brother. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the one who is rich, a brother who is rich in his humiliation. James writes, after all, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. He writes to Christian brothers and sisters. So how is it then if he's referring to the rich, this rich man, how can he be referring to anyone other than someone within the Christian community? Couldn't he be just warning of the dangers of wealth and riches? It's important, friends, to know that the context here that James is writing to a scattered people, a Jewish Christian people. And many of them, many of them still were probably wealthy. So what are we to make of this? Well, it's important to be biblically balanced when we talk about the rich. Notice that James addresses the rich man, not wealth or riches. Do you notice that? James addresses the one who is rich and not wealth and riches. Wealth itself is not sinful. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Do you remember how blessed God, or how, how much God blessed them with wealth and riches? David, Solomon, Lydia. How about Zacchaeus, the wee little man who followed Jesus? He is not addressing wealth itself, but the rich man. See, the Bible teaches that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, Paul says. Jesus, in Luke, rebukes the Pharisees and the other religious elites because they were lovers of money. He wasn't rebuking wealth or riches because wealth and riches are not sinful. 
It's the love of money. Friends, it's the heart. The rich man here, I believe, is characteristic of a man who loves money more than God and his neighbor. That said, this doesn't mean that all who possess wealth and riches are characteristic of the rich man described of James. Now, both whether he's an unbeliever or a believer have their merits. So what do we make of it? You look at what's the, what's the principle here? What is the thing that we as a church take away from this? When we look at the Bible as a whole, we come to understand that wealth and riches are not sinful and that Jesus speaks to the heart. James 2 speaks to the heart. That is the love of money, the love of wealth. That's the problem. And the rich man is characteristic of a man who loves money or wealth more than God and his neighbor. And it's reflected in the way he treats his neighbor. As we saw in James chapter 2. Doesn't mean that all who possess wealth and riches are characteristic of the rich man that is described by James. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 23 and 24 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. The rich man boasts, in his low condition, his spiritual lowliness and depravity because he relies, he relies upon the things of this world. And then James goes on to illustrate in verses, the, the last half of verse 10 and verse 11, the momentary lifespan of the rich man in his business pursuits and because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Notice, pass away, wither, perish, fade away. He uses four different verbs communicating a very similar thought. That the pursuits of the rich man, like a mist, will be gone. The rich man himself, who delights in his riches, like a mist, gone. The momentary lifespan of the rich man and his business pursuits, gone in an instant. And he illustrates, James illustrates, by using the climate's effect on nature, there's no lasting value or worth to his endeavors like the wise men in Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. But what's the end of all this?
The end of the matter all has heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Isn't that a sobering thought? Every secret thing. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. James is showing the momentary, temporary, transient lifespan of the rich man and his business pursuits. I believe James points that simple fact that the rich man and all his worldly possessions and business pursuits will pass away one day just like that. After that, what remains? Jesus says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and not is rich toward God. The rich man could pursue with a heart that is away from the Lord. His soul will be required of him any day. What good is it pursue riches for the sake of worldly pleasures and joys? Eventually the rich man will die like the flowers of the field on a hot sunny day when the scorching wind withers the flowers and it dies. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have goals. Apply a work ethic. It doesn't mean that you should have goals in your vocation. Again, it's the heart. Where's the heart? That's where it's at. Where's the heart? A few points of application. First of all, James doesn't teach a social gospel here. A social gospel focuses on helping people in their plight, their poverty, inequality, housing status. It's not teaching a social gospel movement on helping people in their plight at the expense of the essentials of the Christian faith. Like every human being's sin and misery, like the salvation in Jesus Christ, like heaven and hell, all those important doctrines that must be believed. James isn't saying that we are to practice a social gospel, help the poor at the expense of losing the gospel. The social gospel movement lacks a proclamation of truth, lacks the proclamation of Christ crucified and risen. Second, the Bible doesn't call us to poverty. Poverty shouldn't be the goal of the Christian. Furthermore, a poor Christian isn't more pious than a wealthy Christian, nor vice versa. 
Wealth shouldn't be the goal of the Christian and poverty shouldn't be the goal of the Christian. Listen to Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane, profane the name of my God. The Bible doesn't call us to poverty. Should it be the goal of the Christian? And there are some sects who give up everything and live in communes based on this idea. Third, both riches and poverty present temptations to sin. Both present temptations to sin. The rich are tempted to want more, to find identity in their stuff, to find their joy and happiness in what they have. And they are tempted to forget God. The poor are tempted to want what doesn't belong to them, to covet their neighbor's stuff, to try to find their identity in obtaining earthly material possessions. Both present temptations to sin. And lastly, I ask you, in closing, who do you treasure more? Who do you treasure more? Does your wealth determine your happiness and joy? We are all rich materially, as I said. But more than that, far more than that, we are rich spiritually in Christ. And because we are rich spiritually in Christ, how then does that determine how you use your material, physical wealth. To much is given, much is required. Perhaps you and I now know why Jesus told the rich young ruler, go and sell your possessions and follow me. The rich man was, Jesus knew this, the rich man was so tied to them tied to his possessions that he could not give them up. If any of you have experienced identity theft, it's no fun. <laughs> For about a month recently, been was dealing with it. Accounts closed, accounts compromised. And it was all happening before our very eyes. Money trying to be stolen, moved into other accounts, laundered, whatever. It was no fun. Was it an evil committed against me? Yes. More than that, it was an evil committed against God. Was it inconvenient and worrisome? Yes, I have to admit it was. Did it test my loyalty? Did it test my loyalty? Absolutely. I had to do a bit of repenting. I had to repent. 
And I had to learn once again that my existence and joy are not in my earthly possessions. Yes, things needed to be settled out there, taken care of. But when it became a heart matter for me, when this test targeted my heart on possessions, it put me through the fire. My anxiety and worry didn't add a single hour to my lifespan, nor did it change the situation. And I had to learn to lean on Jesus even more. I have no control over the situation. And my identity is now found in my possessions, but in Christ. Who do you treasure? Who do you treasure? Turn with me to, in closing, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We'll close with this. I just read this, quoted it, but I want you to see it and read it from the page of Scripture. I want you to see it and follow along. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to, him, said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have, re have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You can only serve one man's master. You can either serve God or your possessions. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. Boast, Christian whether you're rich or poor, boast in Christ. Because you, Christian, are inheritors of His kingdom, servants of the great King, and in Him you have no lack. You will lack nothing. You need nothing but Jesus. He is our all in all. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would bring about in our hearts a holy devotion and allegiance to our King, Jesus. He is our Master and our Lord. 
And because of Him, we are rich. Rich spiritually. Teach us, O Lord, what it means to be generous. Teach us what it means to be cheerful. Teach us what it means to be content content in Christ. Teach us what it means, O Lord, to boast solely in Christ, the one who paid it all, the one who became poor for us, entered a state of humiliation for us, so that in him, through his poverty, we have become rich. O Lord, grant us grateful and thankful hearts, and may our thanksgiving be manifested in prayer and praise and worship, for you are great and greatly to be praised. 